0: Chapter 1 of The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Clark, bgdavid.wordpress.com and bgcoffee.net, based in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter 1 Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, who was usually very late in the mornings, save upon those not infrequent occasions when he was up all night, was seated at the breakfast table. I stood upon the hearth rug and picked up the stick which our visitor had left behind him the night before. It was a fine, thick piece of wood, bulbous headed, of the sort which is known as a Penang lawyer. Just under the head, was a broad silver band nearly an inch across to James Mortimer MRCS from his friends of the CCH was engraved upon it with the date 1884 it was just such a stick as the old-fashioned family practitioner used to carry dignified solid and reassuring well Watson what do you make of it Holmes was sitting with his back to me and I had given him no sign of my occupation how did you know what I was doing I believe you have eyes in the back of your head I have at least a well-polished silver-plated coffee-pot in front of me said he but tell me Watson what do you make of our visitors stick since we have been so unfortunate as to miss him and have no notion of his errand this accidental souvenir becomes of importance let me hear you reconstruct the man by an examination of it i think said i following as far as i could the methods of my companion that doctor mortimer is a successful elderly medical man well esteemed since those who know him give him his mark of their appreciation good said holmes excellent i think also that the probability is in favor of his being a country practitioner who does a great deal of his visiting on foot why so because this stick though originally a very handsome one has been so knocked about that i can hardly imagine a town practitioner carrying it the thick iron ferrule is worn down so it is evident that he has done a great amount of walking with it perfectly sound said holmes and then again there is the friends of the cch i should guess that to be the something hunt the local hunt whose members he has possibly given some surgical assistance and which has made him a small presentation in return really watson you excel yourself said holmes pushing back his chair and lighting a cigarette i am bound to say that in all the accounts which you have been so good as to give of my own small achievements You have habitually underrated your own abilities it may be that you are not yourself luminous but you are a conductor of light some people without possessing genius have a remarkable power of stimulating it i confess my dear fellow that i am very much in your debt he had never said as much before and i must admit that his words gave me keen pleasure for i had often been piqued by his indifference to my admiration and to the attempts which I had made to give publicity to his methods I was proud too to think that I had so far mastered his system as to apply it in a way which earned his approval he now took the stick from my hands and examined it for a few minutes with his naked eyes then with an expression of interest he laid down his cigarette and carrying the cane to the window he looked over it again with a convex lens interesting though elementary said he as he returned to his favorite corner of the settee there are certainly one or two indications upon the stick it gives us the basis for several deductions has anything escaped me i asked with some self-importance i trust that there's nothing of consequence which i've overlooked i am afraid my dear watson that most of your conclusions were erroneous When i said that that you stimulated me i meant to be frank that in noting your fallacies i was occasionally guided towards the truth not that you are entirely wrong in this instance the man is certainly a country practitioner and he walks a great deal then i was right to that extent but that was all no no my dear watson not all by no means all i would suggest for example that a presentation to a doctor is more likely to come from a hospital than from a hunt and that when initials cc are placed before that hospital the words charing cross very naturally suggest themselves you may be right the probability lies in that direction and if we take this as a working hypothesis we have a fresh basis from which to start our construction of this unknown visitor well then supposing that cch does stand for charing cross hospital what further inferences may we draw do none suggest themselves you know my methods apply them i can only think of the obvious conclusion that the man has practiced in town before going to the country i think that we might venture a little farther than this look at it in this light on what occasion would it be most probable that such presentation would be made when would his friends unite to give him a pledge of their goodwill obviously at the moment when dr mortimer withdrew from the service of the hospital in order to start a practice for himself we know there has been a presentation we believe there has been a change from a town hospital to a country practice is it then stretching our inference too far to say that the presentation was on the occasion of the change it certainly seems probable now you will observe that he could not have been on the staff of the hospital since only a man well established in a London practice could hold such a position and such a one would not drift into the country what was he then if he was in the hospital and yet not on the staff he could only have been a house surgeon or a house physician little more than a senior student and he left five years ago the date is on the stick so your grave middle-aged family practitioner vanishes into thin air my dear Watson and there emerges a young fellow under 30 amiable unambitious absent-minded and the possessor of a favorite dog which I should describe roughly as being larger than a Terrier and smaller than a Mastiff I laughed incredulously as Sherlock Holmes leaned back in his settee and blew little wavering rings of smoke up to the ceiling as to the latter part I have no means of checking you said I but at least it is not difficult to find out a few particulars about the man's age and professional career from my small medical shelf I took down the medical directory And turned up the name there were several mortimers but only one could be our visitor i read his record aloud mortimer james mrcs 1882 grimpen dartmoor devon house surgeon from 1882 to 1884 at charing cross hospital winner of the jackson prize for comparative pathology with essay entitled is disease a reversion corresponding member of the swedish pathological society author of some freaks of atavism lancet 1882 do we progress journal of psychology march 1883 medical officer for the parishes of grimpen thorsley and high barrow no mention of that local hunt watson said Holmes with a mischievous smile but a country doctor as you very astutely observed i think that i am fairly justified in my inferences as to the adjectives i said if i remember right amiable unambitious and absent-minded it is my experience that it is only an amiable man in this world who receives testimonials only an unambitious one who abandons a london career for the country and only an absent-minded one who leaves his stick and not his visiting card after waiting an hour in your room and a dog has been in the habit of carrying this stick behind his master being a heavy stick the dog has held it tightly by the middle and the marks of his teeth are very plainly visible the dog's jaw as shown in the space between these marks is too broad in my opinion for a terrier and not broad enough for a mastiff it may have been yes by Jove it is a curly-haired spaniel he had risen and paced the room as he spoke now he halted in the recess of the window there was such a ring of conviction in his voice that i glanced up in surprise my dear fellow how can you possibly be so sure of that for the very simple reason that i see the dog himself on our very doorstep and there is the ring of its owner don't move i beg you watson he is a professional brother of yours and your presence may be of assistance to me now is the dramatic moment of fate watson when you hear a step upon the stair which is walking into your life and you know not whether for good or ill what does dr james mortimer the man of science ask of sherlock holmes the specialist in crime come in the appearance of our visitor was a surprise to me since i had expected a typical country practitioner he was a very tall thin man with a long nose like a beak which jutted out between two keen grey eyes set closely together and sparkling brightly from behind a pair of gold-rimmed glasses he was clad in a professional but rather slovenly fashion for his frock coat was dingy and his trousers frayed though young his long back was already bowed and he walked with a forward thrust of his head and a general air of peering benevolence as he entered his eyes fell upon the stick in Holmes's hand and he ran towards it with an exclamation of joy i'm so very glad said he i was not so sure whether i'd left it here or in the shipping office i would not lose that stick for the world a presentation i see said holmes yes sir from charing cross hospital from one or two friends there on the occasion of my marriage dear dear that's bad said holmes shaking his head dr mortimer blinked through his glasses in mild astonishment why was it bad only that you have disarranged our little deductions your marriage you say yes sir i married and so left the hospital and with it all hopes of a consulting practice it was necessary to make a home of my own come come we are not so far wrong after all said holmes and now dr james mortimer mr sir mr a humble mrcs and a man of precise mind evidently a dabbler in science mr holmes a picker-up of shells on the shores of the great unknown ocean i presume that it is mr sherlock holmes who i am addressing and not no this is my friend dr watson glad to meet you sir i have heard your name mentioned in connection with that of your friend you interest me very much, Mr. Holmes. I had hardly expected so doli chocephalic a skull of such well-marked supraorbital development. Would you have any objection to my running my finger along your parietal fissure? A cast of your skull, sir, until the original is available, would be an ornament to any anthropological museum. It is not my intention to be falsome, but I confess that I covet your skull sherlock holmes waved our strange visitor into a chair you are an enthusiast in your line of thought i perceive sir as i am in mine said he i observe from your forefinger that you make your own cigarettes have no hesitation in lighting one the man drew out paper and tobacco and twirled the one up in the other with surprising dexterity he had long quivering fingers as agile and restless as the antennae of an insect holmes was silent but his little darting glances showed me the interest which he took in our curious companion i presume sir said he at last that it was not merely for the purpose of examining my skull that you have done me the honor to call here last night and again today no sir no though i am happy to have had the opportunity of doing that as well. I came to you mr holmes because i recognize that i am myself an unpractical man and because i am suddenly confronted with a most serious and extraordinary problem recognizing as i do that you are the second highest expert in europe indeed sir may i inquire who has the honor to be the first asked holmes with some asperity to the man of precisely scientific mind the work of m bertillon must always appeal strongly then had you not better consult him i said sir to the precisely scientific mind but as a practical man of affairs it is acknowledged that you stand alone i trust sir that i have not inadvertently just a little said holmes i think dr mortimer you would do wisely if without more ado you would kindly tell me plainly what the exact nature of the problem is in which you demand my assistance end of chapter one chapter two of the hound of the baskervilles by sir arthur conan doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two the curse of the baskervilles i have in my pocket a manuscript said dr james mortimer i observed it as you entered the room said holmes it is an old manuscript early 18th century unless it is a forgery how can you say that sir you have presented an inch or two of it to my examination all the time that you have been talking it would be a poor expert who could not give the date of a document within a decade or so you may possibly have read my little monograph upon the subject i put that at seventeen thirty the exact date is seventeen forty two dr mortimer drew it from his breast pocket this family paper was committed to my care by sir charles baskerville whose sudden and tragic death some three months ago created so much excitement in devonshire i may say that i was his personal friend as well as his medical attendant he was a strong-minded man sir shrewd practical and as unimaginative as i am myself yet he took this document very seriously and his mind was prepared for just such an end as did eventually overtake him holmes stretched out his hand for the manuscript and flattened it upon his knee you will observe watson the alternative use of the long s and the short it is one of several indications which enabled me to fix the date i looked over his shoulder at the yellow paper and the faded script at the head was written baskerville hall and below in large scrawling figures 1742 it appears to be a statement of some sort yes it is a statement of a certain legend which runs in the baskerville family but I understand that it is something more modern and practical upon which you wish to consult me most modern a most practical pressing matter which must be decided within 24 hours but the manuscript is short and is intimately connected with the affair with your permission I will read it to you Holmes leaned back in his chair placed his fingertips together and closed his eyes with an air of resignation dr mortimer turned the manuscript to the light and read in a high cracking voice the following curious old world narrative of the origin of the hound of the baskervilles there have been many statements yet as i come in a direct line from hugo baskerville and as i had the story from my father who also had it from his i have set it down with all belief that it occurred even as is here set forth And I would have you believe my sons that the same justice which punishes sin may also most graciously forgive it and That no ban is so heavy, but that by prayer and repentance it may be removed Learn then from this story not to fear the fruits of the past but rather to be circumspect in the future That those foul passions whereby our family has suffered so grievously may not again be loosed to our undoing know then that in the time of the great rebellion the history of which by the learned lord clarendon i most earnestly commend to your attention this manor of baskerville was held by hugo of that name nor can it be gainsaid that he was a most wild profane and godless man this in truth his neighbors might have pardoned seeing that saints have never flourished in those parts but there was in him a certain wanton and cruel humor which made his name a byword through the west it chanced that this hugo came to love if indeed so dark a passion may be known under so bright a name the daughter of a yeoman who held lands near the baskerville estate but the young maiden being discreet and of good repute would ever avoid him for she feared his evil name so it came to pass that one michaelmas this hugo with five or six of his idle and wicked companions stole down upon the farm and carried off the maiden her father and brothers being from home as he well knew when they had brought her to the hall the maiden was placed in an upper chamber while hugo and his friends sat down to a long carouse as was their nightly custom now the poor lass upstairs was like to have her wits turned the singing and shouting and terrible oaths which came up to her from below For they say that the words used by Hugo Baskerville when he was in wine were such as might blast the man who said them At last in the stress of her fear she did that which might have daunted the bravest or most active man for by the aid of the growth of Ivy which covered and still covers the south wall she came down from under the eaves and so homeward across the moor there being three leagues betwixt the hall and her father's farm it chanced that some little time later hugo left his guests to carry food and drink with other worse things perchance to his captive and so found the cage empty and the bird escaped then as it would seem he became as one that hath a devil for rushing down the stairs into the dining hall he sprang upon the great table flagons and trenchers flying before him and he cried aloud before all the company that he would that very night render his body and soul to the powers of evil if he might not overtake the wench and while the revellers stood aghast at the fury of the man one more wicked or it may be more drunken than the rest cried out that they should put the hounds upon her whereat hugo ran from the house crying to his grooms that they should saddle his mare and unkennel the pack and giving the hounds a kerchief of the maids He swung them to the line and so off full cry in the moonlight over the moor Now for some space the revellers stood agape Unable to understand all that had been done in such haste but anon their bemused wits awoke to the nature of the deed which was like to be done upon the moorlands everything was now in an uproar some calling for their pistols some for their horses and some for another flask of wine but at length some sense came back to their crazed minds and the whole of them thirteen in number took horse and started in pursuit the moon shone clear above them and they rode swiftly abreast taking that course which the maid must needs have taken if she were to reach her own home they had gone a mile or two when they passed one of the night shepherds upon the moorlands and they cried to him to know if he had seen the hunt and the man as the story goes was so crazed with fear that he could scarce speak but at last he said that he had indeed seen the unhappy maiden with the hounds upon her track but i have seen more than that said he for you go baskerville pass me upon his black mare and there ran mute behind him such a hound of hell as god forbid should ever be at my eels so the drunken squires cursed the shepherd and rode onward but soon their skins turned cold for there came a galloping across the moor and the black mare dabbled with white froth went past with trailing bridle and empty saddle then the revellers rode close together for a great fear was on them but they still followed over the moor though each had he been alone would have been right glad to have turned his horse's head riding slowly in this fashion they came at last upon the hounds these though known for their valour and their breed were whimpering in a cluster at the head of a deep dip or goyle as we call it upon the moor some slinking away and some with starting hackles and staring eyes gazing down the narrow valley before them the company had come to a halt more sober men as you may guess than when they started the most of them would by no means advance but three of them the boldest or it may be the most drunken rode forward down the goyle now it opened into a broad space in which stood two of those great stones still to be seen there which were set by certain forgotten peoples in the days of old the moon was shining bright upon the clearing and there in the center Lay the unhappy maid where she had fallen dead of fear and of fatigue but it was not the sight of her body nor yet that of the body of hugo baskerville lying near her which raised the hair upon the heads of these three daredevil roisterers but it was that standing over hugo and plucking at his throat there stood a foul thing a great black beast shaped like a hound yet larger than any hound that ever mortal eye has rested upon and even as they looked the thing tore the throat out of hugo baskerville on which as it turned its blazing eyes and dripping jaws upon them the three shrieked with fear and rode for dear life still screaming across the moor one it is said died that very night of what he had seen and the other twain were but broken men for the rest of their days such is the tale my sons of the coming of the hound which is said to have plagued the family so sorely ever since if i have set it down it is because that which is clearly known hath less terror than that which is but hinted at and guessed nor can it be denied that many of the family have been unhappy in their deaths which have been sudden bloody and mysterious yet may we shelter ourselves in the infinite goodness of providence Which would not forever punish the innocent beyond that third or fourth generation which is threatened in holy writ to that providence my sons i hereby commend you and i counsel you by way of caution to forbear from crossing the moor in those dark hours when the powers of evil are exalted this from hugo baskerville to his sons roger and john with instructions that they say nothing thereof to their sister elizabeth when dr mortimer had finished reading this singular narrative he pushed his spectacles up on his forehead and stared across at mr sherlock holmes the latter yawned and tossed the end of his cigarette into the fire well said he do you not find it interesting to a collector of fairy tales dr mortimer drew a folded newspaper out of his pocket now mr Holmes we will give you something a little more recent this is the devon county chronicle of may 14th of this year it is a short account of the facts elicited at the death of sir charles baskerville which occurred a few days before that date my friend leaned a little forward and his expression became intent our visitor readjusted his glasses and began the recent sudden death of sir charles baskerville whose name has been mentioned as the probable liberal candidate for mid devon at the next election has cast a gloom over the county though sir charles had resided at baskerville hall for a comparatively short period his amiability of character and extreme generosity had won the affection and respect of all who had been brought into contact with him in these days of nouveau riche it is refreshing to find a case where the scion of an old county family which had fallen upon evil days, is able to make his own fortune and to bring it back with him to restore the fallen grandeur of his line sir charles as is well known made large sums of money in south african speculation more wise than those who go on until the wheel turns against them he realized his gains and returned to england with them it is only two years since he took up his residence at baskerville hall and it is common talk how large were those schemes of reconstruction and improvement which have been interrupted by his death being himself childless it was his openly expressed desire that the whole countryside should within his own lifetime profit by his good fortune and many will have personal reasons for bewailing his untimely end his generous donations to local and county charities have been frequently chronicled in these columns The circumstances connected with the death of sir charles cannot be said to have been entirely cleared up by the inquest but at least enough has been done to dispose of those rumors to which local superstition has given rise there is no reason whatever to suspect foul play or to imagine that death could be from any but natural causes sir charles was a widower and a man who may be said to have been in some ways of an eccentric habit of mind in spite of his considerable wealth he was simple in his personal tastes and his indoor servants at Baskerville Hall consisted of a married couple named Barrymore the husband acting as Butler and the wife as housekeeper their evidence corroborated by that of several friends tends to show that Sir Charles health has for some time been impaired and points especially to some affection of the heart manifesting itself in changes of color breathlessness and acute attacks of nervous depression dr james mortimer the friend and medical attendant of the deceased has given evidence to the same effect the facts of the case are simple sir charles baskerville was in the habit every night before going to bed of walking down the famous u alley of baskerville hall the evidence of barrymore's shows that this had been his custom On the fourth of may sir charles had declared his intention of starting next day for london and had ordered barrymore to prepare his luggage that night he went out as usual for his nocturnal walk in the course of which he was in the habit of smoking a cigar he never returned at twelve o'clock barrymore finding the hall door still open became alarmed and lighting a lantern went in search of his master the day had been wet and sir charles's footmarks were easily traced down the alley halfway down this walk there is a gate which leads out onto the moor there were indications that sir charles had stood for some little time here he then proceeded down the alley and it was at the far end of it that his body was discovered one fact which has not been explained is the statement of barrymore that his master's footprints altered their character from the time that he passed the moor gate that he appeared from thence onward to have been walking upon his toes one murphy a gypsy horse dealer was on the moor at no great distance at the time but he appears by his own confession to have been the worse for drink he declares that he heard cries but is unable to state from what direction they came no signs of violence were to be discovered upon sir charles's person and though the doctor's evidence pointed to an almost incredible facial distortion so great that dr mortimer refused at first to believe that it was indeed his friend and patient who lay before him it was explained that is a symptom which is not unusual in cases of dysnea and death from cardiac exhaustion this explanation was borne out by the post-mortem examination which showed long-standing organic disease and the coroner's jury returned a verdict in accordance with the medical evidence it is well that this is so for it is obviously of the utmost importance that sir charles's heir should settle at the hall and continue the good work which has been so sadly interrupted had the prosaic finding of the coroner not finally put an end to the romantic stories which have been whispered in connection with the affair it might have been difficult to find a tenant for baskerville hall it is understood that the next of kin is mr henry baskerville if he is still alive the son of sir charles baskerville's younger brother the young man when last heard of was in america and inquiries are being instituted with a view to informing him of his good fortune dr mortimer refolded his paper and replaced it in his pocket those are the public facts mr holmes in connection with the death of sir charles baskerville i must thank you said sherlock holmes for calling my attention to a case which certainly presents some features of interest i had observed some newspaper comment at the time but i was exceedingly preoccupied by that little affair of the vatican cameos and in my anxiety to oblige the pope i lost touch with several interesting english cases this article you say contains all the public facts it does then let me have the private ones he leaned back put his fingertips together and assumed his most impassive and judicial expression in doing so said dr mortimer who had begun to show signs of some strong emotion i am telling that which i have not confided to anyone my motive for withholding it from the coroner's inquiry is that a man of science shrinks from placing himself in the public position seeming to endorse a popular superstition i had the further motive that baskerville hall as the paper says would certainly remain untenanted if anything were done to increase its already rather grim reputation for both these reasons i thought that i was justified in telling rather less than i knew since no practical good could result from it but with you there is no reason why i should not be perfectly frank the moor is very sparsely inhabited and those who live near each other are thrown very much together for this reason i saw a good deal of sir charles baskerville with the exception of mr frankland of laughter hall and mr stapleton the naturalist there are no other men of education within many miles sir charles was a retiring man but the chance of his illness brought us together and a community of interest in science kept us so He had brought back much scientific information from south africa and many a charming evening we had spent together discussing the comparative anatomy of the bushman and the hottentot within the last few months it became increasingly plain to me that sir charles's nervous system was strained to the breaking point he had taken this legend which i have read you exceedingly to heart so much so that although he would walk in his own grounds nothing would induce him to go out upon the moor at night incredible as it may appear to you mr holmes he was honestly convinced that a dreadful fate overhung his family and certainly the records which he was able to give of his ancestors were not encouraging the idea of some ghastly presence constantly haunted him and on more than one occasion he has asked me whether i had on my medical journeys at night ever seen any strange creature or heard the baying of a hound the latter question he put to me several times and always with a voice which vibrated with excitement I can well remember driving up to his house in the evening some three weeks before the fatal event he chanced to be at his hall door I had descended from my gig and was standing in front of him when I saw his eyes fix themselves over my shoulder and stare past me with an expression of the most dreadful horror I whisked round and had just time to catch a glimpse of something which I took to be a large black calf passing at the head of the drive so excited and alarmed was he that I was compelled to go down to the spot where the animal had been and look around for it it was gone however and the incident appeared to make the worst impression upon his mind I stayed with him all the evening and it was on that occasion to explain the emotion which he had shown that he confided to my keeping that narrative which i read to you when i first came in i mention this small episode because it assumes some importance in view of the tragedy which followed but i was convinced at the time that the matter was entirely trivial and that his excitement had no justification i was at my advice that sir charles was about to go to london his heart was i knew affected and the constant anxiety in which he lived however chimerical the cause of it might be was evidently having a serious effect upon his health i thought that a few months among the distractions of town would send him back a new man mr stapleton a mutual friend who was much concerned at his state of health was of the same opinion at the last instant came this terrible catastrophe on the night of sir charles's death barrymore the butler who made the discovery sent Perkins the groom on horseback to me and as I was sitting up late I was able to reach Baskerville Hall within an hour of the event I checked and corroborated all the facts which were mentioned at the inquest I followed the footsteps down the yew alley I saw the spot at the moor gate where he seemed to have waited I remarked the change in the shape of the Prince after that point I noted that there were no other footsteps save those of Barrymore on the soft gravel and finally I carefully examined the body which had not been touched until my arrival Sir Charles lay on his face his arms out his fingers dug into the ground and his features convulsed with some strong emotion to such an extent that I could hardly have sworn to his identity there was certainly no physical injury of any kind but one false statement Was made by barrymore at the inquest he said that there were no traces upon the ground round the body he did not observe any but i did some little distance off but fresh and clear footprints footprints a man's or a woman's dr mortimer looked strangely at us for an instant and his voice sank almost to a whisper as he answered mr holmes they were the footprints of a gigantic hound end of chapter two chapter three of the hound of the baskervilles by sir arthur conan doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three the problem i confess at these words a shudder passed through me there was a thrill in the doctor's voice which showed that he was himself deeply moved by that which he told us holmes leaned forward in his excitement and his eyes had the hard dry glitter which shot from them when he was keenly interested you saw this as clearly as i see you and you said nothing what was the use how was it that no one else saw it the marks were some 20 yards from the body and no one gave them a thought I don't suppose I should have done so had I not known this legend there are many sheep dogs on the moor no doubt but this was no sheepdog you say it was large enormous but it had not approached the body no what sort of night was it damp and raw but not actually raining no what is the alley like there are two lines of old yew hedge twelve feet high and impenetrable the walk in the center is about eight feet across is there anything between the hedges and the walk yes there is a strip of grass about six feet broad on either side i understand that the yew hedge is penetrated at one point by a gate yes the wicket gate which leads on to the moor is there any other opening none so that to reach the yew alley one either has to come down it from the house or else to enter it by the moor gate there is an exit through a summer house at the far end had sir charles reached this no he lay about fifty yards from it now tell me dr mortimer and this is important the marks which you saw were on the path and not on the grass no marks could show on the grass were they on the same side of the path as the moor yes they were on the edge of the path on the same side as the moor you interest me exceedingly another point was the wicket gate closed closed and padlocked how high was it about four feet high than anyone could have got over it yes and what marks did you see by the wicket gate none in particular good heaven did no one examine yes i examined myself and found nothing it was all very confused sir charles had evidently stood there for five or ten minutes how do you know that because the ash had twice dropped from his cigar excellent this is a colleague watson after our own heart but the marks he had left his own marks all over that small patch of gravel i could discern no others sherlock holmes struck his hand against his knee with an impatient gesture if i had only been there he cried it is evidently a case of extraordinary interest and one which presented immense opportunities to the scientific expert that gravel page upon which i might have read so much has been long ere this smudged by the rain and defaced by the clogs of curious peasants oh dr mortimer dr mortimer to think that you should not have called me in you have indeed much to answer for i could not call you in mr holmes without disclosing these facts to the world and i have already given my reasons for not wishing to do so besides besides why do you hesitate there is a realm in which the most acute and most experienced of detectives is helpless you mean that the thing is supernatural i did not positively say so no but you evidently think it since the tragedy mr holmes there have come to my ears Several incidents which are hard to reconcile with the settled order of nature. For example, I find that before the terrible event occurred, several people had seen a creature upon the moor which corresponds with this Baskerville demon, and which could not possibly be any animal known to science. They all agreed that it was a huge creature, luminous, ghastly, and spectral. I have cross examined these men one of them a hard-headed countryman one a farrier and one a moorland farmer who all tell the same story of this dreadful apparition exactly corresponding to the hell hound of the legend I assure you that there is a reign of terror in the district and that it is a hardy man who will cross the moor at night and you a trained man of science believe it to be supernatural I do not know what to believe Holmes shrugged his shoulders I have hitherto confined my investigations to this world said he in a modest way I have combated evil but to take on the father of evil himself would perhaps be too ambitious a task yet you must admit that the footmark is material the original hound was material enough to tug a man's throat out and yet he was diabolical as well i see that you have quite gone over to the supernaturalists but now dr mortimer tell me this if you hold these views why have you come to consult me at all you tell me in the same breath that it is useless to investigate sir charles's death and that you desire me to do it i did not say that i desired you to do it then how can i assist you by advising me as to what I should do with Sir Henry Baskerville who arrives at Waterloo Station dr Mortimer looked at his watch in exactly one hour and a quarter he being the heir. yes on the death of Sir Charles we inquired for this young gentleman and found that he had been farming in Canada from the accounts which have reached us he is an excellent fellow in every way i speak now not as a medical man but as a trustee and executor of sir charles's will there is no other claimant i presume none the only other kinsman whom we have been able to trace was roger baskerville the youngest of three brothers of whom poor sir charles was the elder the second brother who died young is the father of this lad henry the third roger was the black sheep of the family he came of the old masterful baskerville strain and was the very image they tell me of the family picture of old hugo he made england too hot to hold him fled to central america and died there in 1876 of yellow fever henry is the last of the baskervilles in one hour and five minutes i meet him at waterloo station i have had a wire that he arrived at southampton this morning now mr holmes What would you advise me to do with him why should he not go to the home of his fathers it seems natural does it not and yet consider that every baskerville who goes there meets with an evil fate i feel sure that if sir charles could have spoken with me before his death he would have warned me against bringing this the last of the old race and the heir to great wealth to that deadly place and yet it cannot be denied that the prosperity of the whole poor bleak countryside depends upon his presence all the good work which has been done by sir charles will crash to the ground if there is no tenant of the hall i fear lest i should be swayed too much by my own obvious interest in the matter and that is why i bring the case before you and ask for your advice Holmes considered for a little time. Put into plain words, the matter is this, said he. In your opinion, there is a diabolical agency which makes Dartmoor an unsafe abode for a Baskerville. That is your opinion? At least I might go the length of saying that there is some evidence that this may be so. Exactly. But surely, if your supernatural theory be correct, it could work the young man evil in london as easily as in devonshire a devil with merely local powers like a parish vestry would be too inconceivable a thing you put the matter more flippantly mr holmes than you would probably do if you were brought into personal contact with these things your advice then as i understand it is that the young man will be as safe in devonshire as in london he comes in fifty minutes what would you recommend i recommend sir that you take a cab call off your spaniel who is scratching at my front door and proceed to waterloo to meet sir henry baskerville and then and then you will say nothing to him at all until i have made up my mind about the matter how long will it take you to make up your mind twenty-four hours at ten o'clock tomorrow dr mortimer i'll be much obliged to you if you will call upon me here and it will be of help to me in my plans for the future if you will bring sir henry baskerville with you i will do so mr holmes he scribbled the appointment on his shirt cuff and hurried off in his strange peering absent-minded fashion Holmes stopped him at the head of the stair only one more question dr mortimer you say that before sir charles baskerville's death several people saw this apparition upon the moor three people did did any see it after i have not heard of any thank you good morning holmes returned to his seat with that quiet look of inward satisfaction which meant that he had a congenial task before him going out watson unless i can help you no my dear fellow it is at the hour of action that I turn to you for aid but this is splendid really unique from some points of view when you pass Bradley's would you ask him to send up a pound of the strongest shag tobacco thank you it would be as well if you could make it convenient not to return before evening then I shall be very glad to compare impressions as to this most interesting problem which has been submitted to us this morning I knew that seclusion and solitude were very necessary for my friend in those hours of intense mental concentration during which he weighed every particle of evidence constructed alternative theories balanced one against the other and made up his mind as to which points were essential and which immaterial I therefore spent the day at my club and did not return to Baker Street until evening it was nearly nine o'clock when I found myself in the sitting room once more my first impression as i opened the door was that a fire had broken out for the room was so filled with smoke that the light of the lamp upon the table was blurred by it as i entered however my fears were set at rest for it was the acrid fumes of strong coarse tobacco which took me by the throat and set me coughing through the haze i had a vague vision of Holmes in his dressing gown coiled up in an armchair with his black clay pipe between his lips several rolls of paper lay around him caught cold watson said he no it's this poisonous atmosphere i suppose it is pretty thick now that you mention it thick it's intolerable open the window then you've been at your club all day i perceive my dear holmes am i right certainly but how he laughed at my bewildered expression there is a delightful freshness about you watson which makes it a pleasure to exercise any small powers which i possess at your expense a gentleman goes forth on a showery and miry day he returns immaculate in the evening with a gloss still on his hat and his boots he has been a fixture therefore all day he is not a man with intimate friends where then could he have been is it not obvious well it is rather obvious the world is full of obvious things which nobody by any chance ever observes where do you think that I have been a fixture also on the contrary I have been to Devonshire in spirit exactly my body has remained in this armchair and has I regret to observe consumed in my absence two large pots of coffee and an incredible amount of tobacco after you left i sent down to stamford's for the ordnance map of this portion of the moor and my spirit has hovered over it all day i flatter myself that i could find my way about a large-scale map i presume very large he unrolled one section and held it over his knee here you have the particular district which concerns us that is baskerville hall in the middle with a wood around it exactly i fancy the yew alley though not marked under that name must stretch along this line with the moor as you perceive upon the right of it this small clump of buildings here is the hamlet of grimpen where our friend dr mortimer has his headquarters within a radius of five miles there are as you see only a very few scattered dwellings here is laughter hall which was mentioned in the narrative there is a house indicated here which may be the residence of the naturalist stapleton if i remember right was his name here are two moorland farmhouses, high tour and foulmire then fourteen miles away the great convict prison of princetown between and around these scattered points extends the desolate lifeless moor this then is the stage upon which tragedy has been played and upon which we may help to play it again it must be a wild place yes the setting is a worthy one if the devil did desire to have a hand in the affairs of men then you are yourself inclining to the supernatural explanation the devil's agents may be of flesh and blood may they not there are two questions waiting for us at the outset the one is whether any crime has been committed at all the second is what is the crime and how was it committed of course if dr mortimer's surmise should be correct and we are dealing with forces outside the ordinary laws of nature there is an end of our investigation but we are bound to exhaust all other hypotheses before falling back upon this one I think we'll shut that window again if you don't mind it is a singular thing that I find that a concentrated atmosphere helps a concentration of thought I have not pushed it to the length of getting into a box to think but that is the logical outcome of my convictions have you turned the case over in your mind yes i've thought a good deal of it in the course of the day what do you make of it it is very bewildering it has certainly a character of its own there are points of distinction about it that change in the footprints for example what do you make of that mortimer said that the man had walked on tiptoe down that portion of the alley he only repeated what some fool had said at the inquest why should a man walk on tiptoe down the alley what then he was running watson running desperately running for his life running until he burst his heart and fell dead upon his face running from what there lies our problem there are indications that the man was crazed with fear before he ever began to run how can you say that i am presuming that the cause of his fears came to him across the moor if that was so and it seems most probable only a man who had lost his wits would have run from the house instead of towards it if the gypsy's evidence may be taken as true he ran with cries for help in the direction where help was least likely to be then again whom was he waiting for that night and why was he waiting for him in the yew alley rather than in his own house you think that he was waiting for someone the man was elderly and infirm we can understand his taking an evening stroll but the ground was damp and the night inclement is it natural that he should stand for five or ten minutes as dr mortimer with more practical sense than I should have given him credit for deduced from the cigar ash but he went out every evening I think it unlikely that he waited at the Moorgate every evening on the contrary the evidence is that he avoided the moor. that night he waited there it was the night before he made his departure for London the thing takes shape Watson it becomes coherent might I ask you to hand me my violin and we will postpone all further thought upon this business until we have had the advantage of meeting Dr Mortimer and Sir Henry Baskerville in the morning end of chapter three chapter four of the hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter four sir henry baskerville our breakfast table was cleared early and holmes waited in his dressing gown for the promised interview our clients were punctual to their appointment for the clock had just struck ten when dr mortimer was shown up followed by the young baronet the latter was a small alert dark-eyed man about thirty years of age very sturdily built with thick black eyebrows and a strong pugnacious face he wore a ruddy-tinted tweed suit and had the weather-beaten appearance of one who has spent most of his time in the open air and yet there was something in his steady eye and the quiet assurance of his bearing which indicated the gentleman this is sir henry baskerville said dr mortimer why yes said he and the strange thing is mr sherlock holmes that if my friend here had not proposed coming round to you this morning i should have come on my own account i understand that you think out little puzzles and i've had one this morning which wants more thinking out than i am able to give it pray take a seat sir henry do i understand you to say that you have yourself had some remarkable experience since you arrived in london nothing of much importance mr holmes only a joke as like as not it was this letter if you can call it a letter which reached me this morning he laid an envelope upon the table and we all bent over it it was of common quality grayish in colour the address sir henry baskerville northumberland hotel was printed in rough characters the postmark Charing cross and the date of posting the preceding evening who knew that you were going to the northumberland hotel asked holmes glancing keenly across at our visitor no one could have known we only decided after i met dr mortimer but dr mortimer was no doubt already stopping there "Uh, no i had been staying with a friend said the doctor there was no possible indication that we intended to go to this hotel hmm someone seems to be very deeply interested in your movements out of the envelope he took a half sheet of foolscap paper folded into four this he opened and spread flat upon the table across the middle of it a single sentence had been formed by the expedient of pasting printed words upon it it ran as you value your life or your reason keep away from the moor the word "moor" only was printed in ink now said sir henry baskerville perhaps you will tell me mr holmes what in thunder is the meaning of that And who it is that takes so much interest in my affairs what do you make of it dr mortimer you must allow that there is nothing supernatural about this at any rate no sir but it might very well come from someone who was convinced that the business is supernatural what business asked sir henry sharply it seems to me that all you gentlemen know a great deal more than i do about my own affairs you shall share our knowledge before you leave this room sir henry i promise you that said sherlock holmes we will confine ourselves for the present with your permission to this very interesting document which must have been put together and posted yesterday evening have you yesterday's times watson it is here in the corner might i trouble you for it the inside page please with the leading articles he glanced swiftly over it running his eyes up and down the columns capital article this on free trade permit me to give you an extract from it you may be cajoled into imagining that your own special trade or your own industry will be encouraged by a protective tariff but it stands to reason that such legislation must in the long run keep away wealth from the country diminish the value of our imports and lower the general conditions of life in this island What do you think of that watson cried holmes in high glee rubbing his hands together with satisfaction don't you think that is an admirable sentiment dr mortimer looked at holmes with an air of professional interest and sir henry baskerville turned a pair of puzzled dark eyes upon me i don't know much about the tariff and things of that kind said he but it seems to me we've got a bit off the trail so far as that note is concerned on the contrary i think we are particularly hot upon the trail sir henry watson here knows more about my methods than you do but i fear that even he has not quite grasped the significance of this sentence no i confess that i see no connection and yet my dear watson there is so very close a connection that the one is extracted out of the other you your your life reason value keep away from the don't you see now whence these words have been taken by thunder you're right well if that isn't smart cried sir henry if any possible doubt remained it is settled by the fact that keep away and from thee are cut out in one piece well now so it is really mr Holmes this exceeds anything which i could have imagined said dr mortimer gazing at my friend in amazement i could understand anyone saying that the words were from a newspaper but that you should name which and add that it came from the leading article is really one of the most remarkable things which i have ever known how did you do it i presume doctor that you could tell the skull of a negro from that of an eskimo most certainly but how because that is my special hobby. The differences are obvious. The supraorbital crest, the facial angle, the maxillary curve, the. But this is my special hobby, and the differences are equally obvious. There is as much difference to my eyes between the leaded bourgeois type of a Times article and the slovenly print of an evening halfpenny paper as there could be between your Negro and your Eskimo the detection of types is one of the most elementary branches of knowledge to the special expert in crime though i confess that once when i was very young i confused the leeds mercury with the western morning news but a times leader is entirely distinctive and these words could have been taken from nothing else as it was done yesterday the strong probability was that we should find the words in yesterday's issue so far as i can follow you then mr holmes said sir henry baskerville someone cut out this message with a scissors nail scissors said holmes you can see that it was a very short bladed scissors since the cutter had to take two snips over keep away that is so someone then cut out the message with a pair of short bladed scissors pasted it with paste gum said holmes with gum onto the paper but i want to know why the word more should have been written because he could not find it in print the other words were all simple and might be found in any issue but more would be less common why of course that would explain it have you read anything else in this message mr holmes there are one or two indications and yet the utmost pains have been taken to remove all clues the address you observe is printed in rough characters but the times is a paper which is seldom found in any hands but those of the highly educated we may take it therefore that the letter was composed by an educated man who wished to pose as an uneducated one and his effort to conceal his own writing suggests that the writing might be known or come to be known by you again you will observe that the words are not gummed on in an accurate line but that some are much higher than others life for example is quite out of its proper place that may point to carelessness or it may point to agitation and hurry upon the part of the cutter on the whole i incline to the latter view since the matter was evidently important and it is unlikely that the composer of such a letter would be careless if he were in a hurry it opens up the interesting question why he should be in a hurry since any letter posted up to early morning would reach sir Henry before he would leave his hotel did the composer fear an interruption and from whom we are coming now rather into the region of guesswork said dr mortimer say rather into the region where we balance probabilities and choose the most likely it is the scientific use of the imagination but we have always some material basis on which to start our speculation now you would call it a guess no doubt but i am almost certain that this address has been written in a hotel how in the world can you say that if you examine it carefully you will see that both the pen and the ink have given the writer trouble the pen has spluttered twice in a single word and has run dry three times in a short address, showing that there was very little ink in the bottle. Now, a private pen or ink bottle is seldom allowed to be in such a state, and the combination of the two must be quite rare. But you know the hotel ink and the hotel pen, where it is rare to get anything else yes i have very little hesitation in saying that could we examine the waste paper baskets of the hotels round charing cross until we found the remains of the mutilated times leader we could lay our hands straight upon the person who sent this singular message hello hello what's this he was carefully examining the fool's cap upon which the words were pasted holding it only an inch or two from his eyes well Nothing, said he, throwing it down. It is a blank half sheet of paper without even a watermark upon it. I think we have drawn as much as we can from this curious letter. And now, Sir Henry, has anything else of interest happened to you since you have been in London? Why, no, Mr. Holmes, I think not. You have not observed anyone follow or watch you? I seem to have walked right into the thick of a dime novel, said our visitor why in thunder should anyone follow or watch me we are coming to that you have nothing else to report to us before we go into this matter well it depends upon what you think worth reporting i think anything out of the ordinary routine of life well worth reporting sir henry smiled i don't know much of british life yet for i've spent nearly all my time in the states and in canada but i hope that to lose one of your boots is not part of the ordinary routine of life over here you have lost one of your boots my dear sir cried dr mortimer it is only mislaid you will find it when you return to the hotel what is the use of troubling mr holmes with trifles of this kind well he asked me for anything outside the extraordinary exactly said holmes however foolish the incident may seem you have lost one of your boots you say well mislaid it anyhow i put them both outside my door last night and there was only one in the morning i could get no sense out of the chap who cleans them the worst of it is that i only bought the pair last night in the Strand and I have never had them on if you have never worn them why did you put them out to be cleaned Uh, they were tan boots and had never been varnished that was why I put them out then I understand that on your arrival in London yesterday you went out at once and bought a pair of boots I did a great deal of shopping dr Mortimer here went round with me you see if I am to be squire down there I must dress the part and it may be that I have got a little careless in my ways out west among other things I bought these brown boots gave six dollars for them and had one stolen before ever I had them on my feet it seems a singularly useless thing to steal said sherlock holmes i confess that i share dr mortimer's belief that it will not be long before the missing boot is found and now gentlemen said the baronet with decision it seems to me that i have spoken quite enough about the little that i know it is time that you kept your promise and gave me a full account of what we are all driving at your request is a very reasonable one Holmes answered dr. Mortimer I think you could not do better than to tell your story as you told it to us thus encouraged our scientific friend drew his papers from his pocket and presented the whole case as he had done upon the morning before sir Henry Baskerville listened with the deepest attention and with an occasional exclamation of surprise well I seem to have come into an inheritance with a vengeance said he When the long narrative was finished of course i've heard of the hound ever since i was in the nursery it's the pet story of the family though i never thought of taking it seriously before but as to my uncle's death well it all seems boiling up in my head and i can't get it clear yet you don't seem quite to have made up your mind whether it's a case for a policeman or a clergyman precisely and now there's this affair of the letter to me at the hotel i suppose that fits into its place it seems to show that someone knows more than we do about what goes on upon the moor said dr mortimer and also said holmes that someone is not ill-disposed towards you since they warn you of danger or it may be that they wish for their own purposes to scare me away well of course that is possible also i am very much indebted to you dr mortimer for introducing me to a problem which presents several interesting alternatives but the practical point which we now have to decide sir henry is whether it is or is not advisable for you to go to baskerville hall why should i not go there seems to be danger do you mean danger from this family fiend or do you mean danger from human beings well that is what we have to find out whichever it is my answer is fixed there is no devil in hell mr Holmes, and there is no man upon earth who can prevent me from going to the home of my own people and you may take that to be my final answer his dark brows knitted and his face flushed to a dusky red as he spoke it was evident that the fiery temper of the baskervilles was not extinct in this their last representative meanwhile said he i have hardly had time to think over all that you've told me it's a big thing for a man to have to understand and to decide at one sitting i should like to have a quiet hour by myself to make up my mind now look here mr holmes it's half past eleven now and i'm going back right away to my hotel suppose you and your friend dr watson come round and lunch with us at two i'll be able to tell you more clearly then how this thing strikes me is that convenient to you watson perfectly then you may expect us shall i have a cab called i'd prefer to walk for this affair has flurried me rather i'll join you in walk with pleasure said his companion then we meet again at two o'clock au revoir and good morning we heard the steps of our visitors descend the stair and the bang of the front door in an instant holmes had changed from the languid dreamer to the man of action your hat and boots watson quick not a moment to lose he rushed into his room in his dressing gown and was back again in a few seconds in a frock coat we hurried together down the stairs and into the street dr mortimer and baskerville were still visible about 200 yards ahead of us in the direction of oxford street shall I run and stop them not for the world my dear Watson I am perfectly satisfied with your company if you will tolerate mine our friends are wise for it is certainly a very fine morning for a walk he quickened his pace until we had decreased the distance which divided us by about half then still keeping a hundred yards behind we followed into Oxford Street and so down Regent Street once our friend stopped and stared into a shop window upon which holmes did the same an instant afterwards he gave a little cry of satisfaction and following the direction of his eager eyes i saw that a handsome cab with a man inside which had halted on the other side of the street was now proceeding slowly onward again there's our man watson come along we'll have a good look at him even if we can do no more At that instant i was aware of a bushy black beard and a pair of piercing eyes turned upon us through the side window of the cab instantly the trap door at the top flew up something was screamed to the driver and the cab flew madly off down regent street holmes looked eagerly around for another but no empty one was in sight then he dashed in wild pursuit amid the stream of the traffic but the start was too great and already the cab was out of sight there now said holmes bitterly as he emerged panting and white with vexation from the tide of vehicles was ever such bad luck and such bad management too watson watson if you're an honest man you will record this also and set it against my successes who was the man i have not an idea a spy well it was evident from what we have heard that baskerville has been very closely shadowed by someone since he has been in town how else could it be known so quickly that it was the Northumberland hotel which he had chosen if they had followed him the first day I argued that they would follow him also the second you may have observed that I twice strolled over to the window while Dr Mortimer was reading his legend yes I remember I was looking out for loiterers in the street but I saw none. We are dealing with a clever man watson this matter cuts very deep and though i have not finally made up my mind whether it is a benevolent or a malevolent agency which is in touch with us i am conscious always of power and design when our friends left i at once followed them in the hopes of marking down their invisible attendant so wily was he that he had not trusted himself upon foot but he had availed himself of a cab So that he could loiter behind or dash past them and so escape their notice his method had the additional advantage that if they were to take a cab he was all ready to follow them it has however one obvious disadvantage it puts him in the power of the cabman exactly what a pity we didn't get the number my dear watson clumsy as i have been you surely do not seriously imagine that i neglected to get the number no two seven zero four is our man but that is no use to us for the moment i fail to see how you could have done more on observing the cab i should have instantly turned and walked in the other direction i should then at my leisure have hired a second cab and followed the first at a respectful distance or better still have driven to the Northumberland Hotel and waited there when our unknown had followed Baskerville home we should have had the opportunity of playing his own game upon himself and seeing where he made for as it is by an indiscreet eagerness which was taken advantage of with extraordinary quickness and energy by our opponent we have betrayed ourselves and lost our man we had been sauntering slowly down Regent Street during this conversation and dr Mortimer with his companion had long vanished in front of us there is no object in our following them said Holmes the shadow has departed and will not return we must see what further cards we have in our hands and play them with decision could you swear to that man's face within the cab I could swear only to the beard and so could I from which I gather that in all probability it was a false one. A clever man upon so delicate an errand has no use for a beard save to conceal his features. Come in here, Watson. He turned into one of the district messenger offices where he was warmly greeted by the manager. Ah, Wilson, I see you have not forgotten the little case in which I had the good fortune to help you. No, sir, indeed I have not. You save my good name and perhaps my life." My dear fellow, you exaggerate. I have some recollection, Wilson, that you had among your boys a lad named Cartwright, who showed some ability during the investigation. Yes, sir. He's still with us. Could you ring him up? Thank you. And I should be glad to have change of this five pound note. A lad of fourteen, with a bright, keen face, had obeyed the summons of the manager. He stood now gazing with great reverence at the famous detective let me have the hotel directory said holmes thank you now cartwright there are the names of 23 hotels here all in the immediate neighborhood of charing cross do you see yes sir you will visit each one of these in turn yes sir you will begin in each case by giving the outside porter one shilling here are 23 shillings yes sir you will tell him that you want to see the waste paper of yesterday you will say that an important telegram has miscarried and that you are looking for it you understand yes sir but what you are really looking for is the center page of the times with some holes cut in it with scissors here is a copy of the times it is this page you could easily recognize it could you not yes sir in each case the outside porter will send for the hall porter to whom also you will give a shilling here are twenty-three shillings you will then learn in possibly twenty cases out of the twenty-three that the waste of the day before has been burned or removed in the three other cases you will be shown a heap of paper and you will look for this page of the times among it the odds are enormously against your finding it there are ten shillings over in case of emergencies Let me have a report by wire at baker street before evening and now watson it only remains for us to find out by wire the identity of the cabman number two seven zero four and then we will drop into one of the bond street picture galleries and fill in the time until we are due at the hotel end of chapter four chapter five of the hound of the baskervilles by sir arthur conan doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five three broken threads sherlock holmes had in a very remarkable degree the power of detaching his mind at will for two hours the strange business in which we had been involved appeared to be forgotten and he was entirely absorbed in the pictures of the modern belgian masters he would talk of nothing but art, of which he had the crudest ideas, from our leaving the gallery until we found ourselves at the Northumberland Hotel. "'Sir Henry Baskerville is upstairs expecting you,' said the clerk. "'He asked me to show you up at once when you came.' "'Have you any objection to my looking at your register?' said Holmes. "Not in the least. The books show that two names have been added after that of Baskerville one was theophilus johnson and family of newcastle the other mrs oldmore and maid of high lodge alton surely that must be the same johnson whom i used to know said holmes to the porter a lawyer is he not gray-haired and walks with a limp no sir this is mr johnson the coal owner a very active gentleman not older than yourself surely you're mistaken about his trade no, sir. He has used this hotel for many years, and he is very well known to us. Ah, that settles it. Mrs. Oldmore, too, I seem to remember the name. Excuse my curiosity, but often in calling upon one friend one finds another. She is an invalid lady, sir. Her husband was once mayor of Gloucester. She always comes to us when she's in town. Thank you. I'm afraid I cannot claim her acquaintance. We have established a most important fact by these questions watson he continued in a low voice as we went upstairs together we know now that the people who are so interested in our friend have not settled down in his own hotel that means that while they are as we have seen very anxious to watch him they are equally anxious that he should not see them now this is a most suggestive fact what does it suggest it suggests hello my dear fellow what on earth is the matter as we came round the top of the stairs we'd run up against sir Henry Baskerville himself his face was flushed with anger and he held an old and dusty boot in one of his hands so furious was he that he was hardly articulate and when he did speak it was in a much broader and more Western dialect than any which we had heard from him in the morning seems to me they are playing me for a sucker in this hotel he cried they'll find they've started into monkey with the wrong man unless they are careful by thunder if that chap can't find my missing boot there'll be trouble i can take a joke with the best mr holmes but they've got a bit over the mark this time still looking for your boot yes sir and mean to find it but surely you said that it was a new brown boot so it was sir and now it's an old black one what you don't mean to say that's just what i do mean to say i only had three pairs in the world the new brown the old black and the patent leathers which i'm wearing last night they took one of my brown ones and today they have sneaked one of the black well have you got it speak out man and don't stand staring an agitated german waiter had appeared upon the scene no sir i have made inquiry all over the hotel but i can hear no word of it well either that boot comes back before sundown or i'll see the manager and tell him that i go right straight out of this hotel it shall be found sir i promise you that if you'll have a little patience it will be found mind it is for it's the last thing of mine that i'll lose in this den of thieves well well mr holmes you'll excuse my troubling you about such a trifle i think it's well worth troubling about why you look very serious over it how do you explain it i just don't attempt to explain it it seems the very maddest queerest thing that ever happened to me the queerest perhaps said holmes thoughtfully what do you make of it yourself well i don't profess to understand it yet this case of yours is very complex sir henry when taken in conjunction with your uncle's death i'm not sure that all the five hundred cases of capital importance which i've handled there is one which cuts so deep but we hold several threads in our hands and the odds are that one or other of them guides us to the truth we may waste time in following the wrong one but sooner or later we must come upon the right we had a pleasant luncheon in which little was said of the business which had brought us together It was in the private sitting-room to which we afterwards repaired that holmes asked baskerville what were his intentions to go to baskerville hall and when at the end of the week on the whole said holmes i think that your decision is a wise one i have ample evidence that you are being dogged in london and amid the millions of this great city it is difficult to discover who these people are or what their object can be if their intentions are evil they might do you mischief and we should be powerless to prevent it you did not know dr mortimer that you were followed this morning from my house dr mortimer started violently followed by whom that unfortunately is what i cannot tell you have you among your neighbors or acquaintances on dartmoor any man with a black full beard no or let me see why yes barrymore sir charles's butler is a man with a full black beard ha where is barrymore he is in charge of the hall we had best ascertain if he is really there or if by any possibility he might be in london how can you do that give me a telegraph form is all ready for sir Henry? that will do address to mr barrymore baskerville hall what is the nearest telegraph office grimpen very good we will send a second wire to the postmaster grimpen telegram to mr barrymore to be delivered into his own hand if absent please return wire to sir henry baskerville northumberland hotel that should let us know before evening whether barrymore is at his post in devonshire or not that's so said baskerville by the way dr mortimer who is this barrymore anyhow he is the son of the old caretaker who is dead they have looked after the hall for four generations now so far as i know he and his wife are as respectable a couple as any in the county at the same time said baskerville it's clear enough that so long as there are none of the family at the hall these people have a mighty fine home and nothing to do that is true did barrymore profit at all by sir charles's will asked holmes he and his wife had five hundred pounds each Ha! did they know that they would receive this yes sir charles was very fond of talking about the provisions of his will that is very interesting i hope said dr mortimer that you do not look with suspicious eyes upon every one who received a legacy from Sir Charles, for I also had a thousand pounds left to me. Indeed. And any one else? There were many insignificant sums to individuals, and a large number of public charities. The residue all went to Sir Henry. And how much was the residue? Seven hundred and forty thousand pounds holmes raised his eyebrows in surprise i had no idea that so gigantic a sum was involved said he sir charles had the reputation of being rich but we did not know how very rich he was until we came to examine his securities the total value of the estate was close on to a million dear me it is a stake for which a man might well play a desperate game and one more question dr mortimer supposing that anything happened to our young friend here you will forgive the unpleasant hypothesis who would inherit the estate since Roger Baskerville Sir Charles's youngest brother died unmarried the estate would descend to the Desmonds who are distant cousins James Desmond is an elderly clergyman in Westmoreland thank you these details are all of great interest have you met Mr James Desmond yes He once came down to visit sir charles he is a man of venerable appearance and of saintly life i remember that he refused to accept any settlement from sir charles though he pressed it upon him and this man of simple tastes would be the heir to sir charles's thousands he would be the heir to the estate because that is entailed he would also be the heir to the money unless it were willed otherwise by the present owner who can of course do what he likes with it and have you made your will sir henry no mr holmes i have not i've had no time for it was only yesterday that i learned how matters stood but in any case i feel that the money should go with the title and estate that was my poor uncle's idea how is the owner going to restore the glories of the baskervilles if he has not money enough to keep up the property house land and dollars must go together quite so well sir henry i am of one mind with you as to the advisability of you going down to devonshire without delay there is only one provision which i must make you certainly must not go alone dr mortimer returns with me but dr mortimer has his practice to attend to and his house is miles away from yours with all the good will in the world he may be unable to help you no sir henry you must take with you someone a trusty man who will be always by your side is it possible that you could come yourself mr Holmes if matters came to a crisis I should endeavour to be present in person but you can understand that with my extensive consulting practice and with the constant appeals which reach me from many quarters it is impossible for me to be absent from London for an indefinite time at the present instant one of the most revered names in england is being besmirched by a blackmailer and only i can stop a disastrous scandal you will see how impossible it is for me to go to dartmoor whom would you recommend then holmes laid his hand upon my arm if my friend would undertake it there is no man who is better worth having at your side when you're in a tight place no one can say more confidently than i proposition took me completely by surprise, but before I had time to answer, Baskerville seized me by the hand and wrung it heartily. "'Well, now, that is real kind of you, Dr. Watson,' said he. "'You see how it is with me, and you know just as much about the matter as I do. If you will come down to Baskerville Hall and see me through, I'll never forget it.' The promise of adventure had always a fascination for me and i was complimented by the words of holmes and by the eagerness with which the baronet hailed me as a companion i'll come with pleasure said i i do not know how i could employ my time better and you will report very carefully to me said holmes when a crisis comes as it will do i will direct how you shall act i suppose that by saturday all might be ready with that suit dr watson perfectly then on Saturday, unless you hear to the contrary, we shall meet at the ten thirty train from Paddington. We had risen to depart when Baskerville gave a cry of triumph, and diving into one of the corners of the room, he drew a brown boot from under a cabinet. My missing boot! he cried. May all our difficulties vanish as easily, said Sherlock Holmes. But it is a very singular thing dr mortimer remarked i searched this room carefully before lunch and so did i said baskerville every inch of it there was certainly no boot in it then in that case the waiter must have placed it there while we were lunching the german was sent for but professed to know nothing of the matter nor could any inquiry clear it up another item had been added to that constant and apparently purposeless series of small mysteries which had succeeded each other so rapidly setting aside the whole grim story of sir charles's death we had a line of inexplicable incidents all within the limits of two days which included the receipt of the printed letter the black-bearded spy in the hansom the loss of the new brown boot the loss of the old black boot and now the return of the new brown boot. Holmes sat in silence in the cab as we drove back to Baker Street, and I knew from his drawn brows and keen face that his mind, like my own, was busy in endeavouring to frame some scheme into which all these strange and apparently disconnected episodes could be fitted. All afternoon and late into the evening, he sat lost in tobacco and thought just before dinner two telegrams were handed in the first ran have just heard that barrymore is at the hall baskerville the second visited twenty-three hotels as directed but sorry to report unable to trace cut sheet of times cartwright there go two of my threads watson there is nothing more stimulating than a case where everything goes against you we must cast around for another cent. We still have the cabman who drove the spy. Exactly. I have wired to get his name and address from the official registry. I should not be surprised if this were an answer to my question. The ring at the bell proved to be something even more satisfactory than an answer, however, for the door opened and a rough looking fellow entered who was evidently the man himself. I got a message from the head office that a gent at this address had been inquiring for number 2704, said he. I have driven my cab this seven years and never a word of complaint. I came here straight from the yard to ask you to your face what you had against me. I have nothing in the world against you, my good man, said Holmes. On the contrary, I have half a sovereign for you if you will give me a clear answer to my questions. Well, I have had a good day and no mistake said the cabman with a grin what was it you wanted to ask sir first of all your name and address in case i want you again john clayton three Turpy street the borough my cab is out of shipley's yard near waterloo station sherlock holmes made a note of it now clayton tell me all about the fair who came and watched this house at ten o'clock this morning and afterwards followed the two gentlemen down regent street the man looked surprised and a little embarrassed why there's no good my telling you things for you seem to know as much as i do already said he the truth is that the gentleman told me that he was a detective and i was to say nothing about him to anyone my good fellow this is a very serious business and you may find yourself in a pretty bad position if you try to hide anything from me you say that your fare told you that he was a detective yes he did when did he say this when he left me did he say anything more he mentioned his name holmes cast a swift glance of triumph at me oh he mentioned his name did he that was imprudent what was the name that he mentioned his name said the cabman was mr sherlock holmes never have i seen my friend more completely taken aback than by the cabman's reply for an instant he sat in silent amazement then he burst into a hearty laugh a touch watson an undeniable touch said he i feel a foil as quick and supple as my own he got home upon me very prettily that time so his name was sherlock holmes was it yes sir That was the gentleman's name excellent tell me where you picked him up and all that occurred he hailed me at half-past nine in Trafalgar Square he said that he was a detective and he offered me two guineas if I would do exactly what he wanted all day and ask no questions I was glad enough to agree first we drove down to the Northumberland hotel and waited there until two gentlemen came out and took a cab from the rank "'We followed their cab until it pulled up somewhere near here.' "'This very door?' said Holmes. "'Well, I couldn't be sure of that, "'but I dare say my fare knew all about it. "'We pulled up halfway down the street and waited an hour and a half, "'and the two gentlemen passed us, walking, "'and we followed down Baker Street and along—' "'I know,' said Holmes, "'until we got three-quarters down Regent Street, "'and my gentleman threw up the trap,' And he cried that i should drive right away to waterloo station as hard as i could go i whipped up the mare and we were there under the ten minutes and he paid up his two guineas like a good one and away he went into the station only just as he was leaving he turned round and he said it might interest you to know that you've been driving mr sherlock holmes That's how i came to know the name i see and you saw no more of him Not after he went into the station. And how would you describe Mr. Sherlock Holmes? The cabman scratched his head. Well, he wasn't altogether such an easy gentleman to describe. I put him at forty years of age, and he was of a middle height, two or three inches shorter than you, sir. He was dressed like a toff, and he had a black beard, cut square at the end, and a pale face. I don't know, as I could say any more than that colour of his eyes no i can't say that nothing more that you can remember no sir nothing well then here is your half sovereign there's another one waiting for you if you can bring any more information good-night good-night sir and thank you john clayton departed chuckling and holmes turned to me with a shrug of his shoulders and a rueful smile snap goes our third thread and we end where we began said he the cunning rascal he knew our number knew that sir Henry Baskerville had consulted me spotted who I was in Regent Street conjectured that I had got the number of the cab and would lay my hands on the driver and so sent back this audacious message I tell you Watson this time we have got a foeman man who is worthy of our steel I've been checkmated in London I can only wish you better luck in Devonshire, but I am not easy in my mind about it." "'About what?' "'About sending you. It's an ugly business, Watson, an ugly, dangerous business, and the more I see of it, the less I like it. Yes, my dear fellow, you may laugh, but I give you my word that I shall be very glad to have you back safe and sound in Baker Street once more." End of Chapter 5